Welcome to the St. Andrew's Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. You can connect with us online at www.gosaintandrew.com. Friends, our reading this morning comes to us again from the Gospel according to Luke. Tradition tells us that the author of Luke also composed the book of Acts. Luke is the longest document of the New Testament, and when combined with Acts, Together, they represent little more than one quarter of the entire New Testament. About half of Luke's gospel contains material found nowhere else and shows a particular concern for outcasts, victims of oppression, and others who appear to be at a disadvantage in society. In Luke, Jesus challenges parochial attitudes that would limit God's care or blessing to any particular person, group, or nation. In Luke, the gospel is a message of hope for all people. In our reading today, we find the word is getting out about this Jesus character. Jesus has called his first disciples. He has traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching, preaching, and performing miraculous healings. One day, Jesus was teaching to a rather large crowd in a house. The place was so packed that people were crowded in and even around the house outside to hear him. And it was at this moment that something beautiful happened. Let's turn and hear the words of Luke, chapter 5, verses 17 through 26, from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. One day, while Jesus was teaching... Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and led him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Then the scribes and Pharisees began to question, who, who is this who is speaking blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their questioning, he answered them, Why? Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, Stand up and take your bed and go to your home. And immediately, immediately he stood up before them, took what he had been lying on, and went to his home glorifying God. Amazement seized all of them, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen strange things today. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. 
sing together. Teach us your ways. Teach us your ways as we learn from one another. Learn to love each other. Teach us your way. Hallelujah. 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 Let us learn from one another. Learn to love each other. What does it mean to be human? It's not a rhetorical question. I want you to think for a moment. What does it mean to be human? When you hear the word human, what comes to mind as it relates to you? What does it mean to be alive and be human? In the movie Groundhog Day, uh, Bill Murray plays, yeah, speaking of humans, right? Uh, (laughs) Bill Murray plays Phil uh, Connors. He's that arrogant Scrooge-like TV weatherman who is uh, sent to Puxatawney, Pennsylvania to cover the annual emergence of the groundhog, which will determine whether it'll be six more weeks of winter or it's early spring. And while on assignment, as you may recall from the film, Connors finds himself stuck in this this time loop, uh, repeating the same day over and over again. He's trapped here in this place that he loathes, Puxahani. He, uh, he despises the people that he's with. He's uh, on assignment, and it's one that he detests. Nothing he does can change his situation. In the movie, he sinks into depression. He succumbs to self-destructive behaviors, even loses his will to live. And in one scene, Connor Uh, Connors asks his friend Ralph, he says, what would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day was exactly the same and nothing you did mattered? And Ralph says, that about sums it up for me. (laughs) And the brilliance of that scene, of course, and the awful truth of it is that Ralph voices what so many in the modern world fear most. Getting stuck in a life and in a world in which nothing matters. Meaning, purpose, beauty, mystery, wonder, these are so often the casualties of life lived in the modern world. But we know they are so so vital to what it means to be human. What happened to these things? As you know, somewhere around 400 years ago, this little event took place. It was called the Scientific Revolution. And the consequence of the Scientific Revolutions are, they're wonderful. We, 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 we discovered that we could break down our world into objective cause and effect, uh, predictable laws and principles that, that tell us so much about our world why things happen, um, uh, what, what will happen based on this particular event, and, and even uh, what will happen tomorrow based on what happened 
yesterday. And out of the scientific revolution, we, we discovered four particular instruments that helped us do this work. You know them. You use them. They're essential even to our lives today. Telescope, a microscope, a thermometer, and a barometer. And these four instruments revealed that the world is, is ordered according to these mechanistic cause and effect laws. And suddenly, nothing really was a mystery anymore. There was an ex- explanation for just about everything. Why do earthquakes happen? Well, there was a time uh, centuries ago when people would have said, well, obviously, the Greek goddess Gaia was having a really bad day and she stomped her foot. And people would have said, oh, of course. But then scientists rolled in and said, tectonic plates. Ah, of course. That tsunami, it it, it turned out it really wasn't a a temper tantrum from Poseidon. It wasn't even an act of God, even as scripture might define it. It was seismic activity, geologic uplift, wavelength and some other natural phenomenon. Suddenly, Suddenly, science called into question so much of what Christians once knew and believed. And as we've seen over the course of this series, uh, that's when science and church decided that they couldn't live together anymore. They tried to work it out. There's a lot of back and forth, but, but faith and science eventually went their separate ways. And it was an ugly divorce. It was like Brad and Jennifer... It was like Brad and Angelina. And Brad gets all, he gets around, doesn't he? It was like that, but worse. Because people died by fire. And many Christians today, they still blame science. They blame science for the decline of Christianity, for atheism and secular humanism, for the demise of moral values, and they say science is the real problem, except for flush toilets and anesthesia. Those were great. Um, Alexa and Siri, those are okay too. I mean, 10,000 songs in your pocket. That worked out pretty well. And, and Chia Pet. And the clapper, you walk in and, I mean, science did some really cool things, but you see the rift we've made. Science has has never been the problem. Science simply went about the work of trying to tell us all about the world we live in. The problem is faith and the church. Because the church forgot how to tell us what it all means, what it means to be really human and alive in this world. Science can tell us why why some people in the world can touch the tips of their noses with their tongues. But science can't tell us why that's beautiful and fascinating. 
Why do a growing number of people today struggle to believe in God? That's the question we're trying to address in this series. And maybe it's because still today there are so many Christians who are trying to convince those people that the earth is only 6,000 years old. When there are vastly more people wondering, are we going to save this earth? You see the difference. In the early 1900s, a French paleontologist, a scientist, and a Jesuit priest, imagine that, he proposed this idea that, that maybe, maybe matter and spirit aren't different after all. Maybe body and soul, earth and heaven, these things are more porous and connected in, in ways that we don't even know and, and de- we can't detect them. His name was Teilhard de Chardin, and he said, this whole world that we live in is charged with divine energy, everything, not just people, but every living thing. And he shaped this, this new way of perceiving the world that, that bridged or reconciled faith and science. He was one of the first to do this since the scientific revolution. And what he said was, everything is infused with the sacred. Look at the world differently. Look at your life differently. What does it mean to be human? Deschardins said, and you've probably seen this on a bumper sticker, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. What does it mean to be human? Is soul more important than the body? And we're learning today that the, the connection between soul and body is, is, is more intimate than we ever realized. Your, your body, your human body, is this remarkably engineered piece of art. Seven octillion atoms. A hundred trillion cells. 700 enzymes, 206 bones, six quarts of blood. Um, you see how crazy this is? 100,000 heartbeats a day, 45 miles of nerve pathways. They're traveling at 200,000 miles an hour. It's happening in you right now. It's all held together by skin, like what, 22 uh, yards of, of skin? That's no more than a a half a millimeter thick? It's it's mind-boggling. It's astonishing. Your human body is breathtaking. It's divinely conceived and engineered. And so you ask, is this what it means to be human, to be a body? not Not exactly, not completely. Because your human body, like the rest of the entire universe, is 99.9% empty. If you were to take everything in the universe and put it under a high-powered, super high-powered microscope and look at it at the subatomic level, you would discover that you and everything else in the world is 99.9% empty. You and your big, sophisticated brain, if anybody ever calls you an airhead, technically... They're right. (laughs) 99.9% empty. 
The question is, what's, what's in all that emptiness? Well, scientists tell us it's energy. Some scientists say it's little strings of energy that are vibrating in relationship to one another, in relationship to every other string of energy around you, and the people next to you, in the spaces you're in, all this energy dancing. Dancing. It turns out that the universe is not 99.9% empty, but 99.9% energy. Particles, little strings of energy. And scientists today are speculating that energy is what Deschardins saw decades ago and actually what all the Hebrew thinkers saw centuries ago. It's, it's found in Psalm 19. Heaven is declaring God's glory. The sky is proclaiming his handiwork. One day gushes the news to the next and one night informs another what needs to be known. There's no speech, no words. Their voices can't be heard, but their sound, and in the Hebrew that word is also string, extends throughout the world. The words reach the ends of the earth. Energy in all living things. And this is what it means to be alive. And what it means to be human is what we heard in the song that we just, from, from Justin, awake my soul. And we're, we're, we're made to, to meet our maker, but not in the next world, right now, to dance with that divine energy. This is what it means to be alive. And Jesus didn't need astrophysicists to tell him that. He knew it intuitively. Spirit and matter, they're not the same, but they are inseparable. And to be human and fully alive is to allow them to dance. Jesus was, was home one day in Capernaum. And some Pharisees and scribes and followers, they came from miles away, even as far away as Jerusalem to hear Jesus teach. And his house was packed with people. And this large crowd was so big it spilled out into the yard. And as Jesus is teaching, four men arrive and they're carrying their good friend on a pallet. Uh, they hope that Jesus might heal their friend. But there's no way through the door. The crowd won't move. They won't budge. And so they get creative. They hoist their friend on his pallet top of the roof and then they break through the roof. In the first century world, uh, roofs were, were made of spans of wood from one side to the other. Then you'd layer it with, with a, a mat of reed and clay and then you'd roll it with sand and some stone to keep it sealed from the weather. And I want you to see this in your mind, this wonderful scene Jesus is teaching to a packed house. The people are on the edge of their seat, hanging on every word, and suddenly in the middle of the sermon, little flakes of roof, little dust at first, and then big chunks of, of roof, debris, just showering the place. That's a rough day in church. <laughs> and the flood of sunlight comes through, then a, a human body. Descends into the room. Exhibit A. 
It's, it's almost comical if it weren't so profoundly beautiful. A hole in the roof, a man on a pallet, four faces looking down from the roof, and Jesus going, really? <laughs> My roof? It's a strange story, which is why it ends with that very last line when people said, we have seen strange things today. But there are two just brief insights to the story that pull together for us body and spirit. The first is that we are only as well as the community to which we belong. This man on the pallet, he's paralyzed. In the Greek, it suggests palsy. He's, in other words, he has no mobility. His entire community has locked him out. Because he can't walk, he's confined to isolation, loneliness. He's confined uh, to, to the dependence on other people. He's hidden from the world. He's an other. And what's worse, because his religion uh, suggests that, that, that human illness is connected to human sin, he's, he's locked out of his faith. He has no access to his experience of, of religion to his community, to people. The, the priest would say, well, palsy, it doesn't just happen. Something must have, well, somebody must have sinned. And this man is entrapped by societal and religious uh, systems that, that keep him sick. This is a reminder that we are all members of an ecosystem we don't think this way as moderns today. We, we think that we live outside the world and we see it objectively. We stand outside of it. But the truth is, we are unmistakably influenced by the people, by the land, by the communities, by the relationships we have with people in those communities. This is why when you meet somebody, you say, eh, where are you from? Because People, tribe, community suggests something about the person themselves. I, I read about children who are suffering from these strange cancers in, in, around the Horn of Africa. It turns out that European companies for decades were dumping barrels of toxic waste into the ocean. And everybody forgot about them until the tsunami of 2011 when those barrels and drums were dislodged and broken open and toxic levels of uranium and mercury and lead spilled across the seabed, the food supply for millions of people. It's a reminder we are only as well as our communities are well. And that makes things like toxic waste profoundly spiritual issues was in conversations just this week at different tables with community leaders and public health professionals, all trying to get to the heart of this one urgent question. Why do the young people in Douglas County report lower levels of emotional well-being, higher levels of anxiety and depression, and account for higher incidence of suicide compared to the national average? And at the heart of that question is, what is it about the ecosystem in which we live? 
We did a survey this week. Maybe you participated. We asked, I believe our environment and or our community has an impact, for better or for worse, on our spiritual and physical well-being. I'm glad to say you all, almost always, all, 99% of you, somewhat or strongly agree with that. We're only as well as the communities to which we belong, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And that's why these four men, driven by love, tear a hole in the roof to get their friend the help he needs. Because they are well. They have the power to make him well. Friends, community, the quality of our relationships, these can make us well. Who are you Who are you tearing the roof off for? Second insight from this story is that our bodies are well only when our souls are well. And so much of our physical illness is of a deeper spiritual origin. And we have a word for that. It's a technical word that speaks of very specific illnesses, psychosomatic. Psycho from the Greek psuche, which means soul or mind. Soma, from the Greek, meaning body. We can use it in very particular ways, but also in very general ways. We asked the question in our survey this week among you, I believe caring for our souls is indispensable to our overall sense of peace and well-being. 98% of you agreed somewhat or strongly. Body and soul, they're in relationship with each other. And when our bodies are broken, We can look perhaps sometimes at our souls and see ache, exhaustion, trauma. Our bodies pay the price. Bulimia, addiction, cutting, overwork, exhaustion, insomnia, hypertension. Wherever there is ache or emptiness in our souls, the bodies tell the truth on us. Please hear me, not every physical illness is of a spiritual origin, but almost every spiritual injury or trauma will eventually manifest itself in physical ways. Our bodies tell the truth about what's going on in our souls. They tell us when we're anxious, fearful, stressed, exhausted. They tell us when we're at peace, when we're content, when we're rested. Pay attention to your perspiration, your respiration, your heart rate, your back pain, your headaches, your blood pressure. Our bodies are often the only prophets that will speak the truth when we are unable to hear it from other people. And so Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And you think, wait, the man didn't come for forgiveness of sins. He came to be healed of his body. But Jesus understood That he could heal the man's body, but if he didn't also heal the social, societal, relational trauma, that he would still live a life devoid of meaning and purpose and beauty. Your sins are forgiven. He's not forgiving the man's personal transgressions. He's pronouncing release and freedom from all those labels, all those limitations that the world has put on him because of his disability. This is the real nature of sin. We get very moral when we talk about sin. But sin is simply this. It's the impairment of our relationships. And systemically, it is the bondage to that 
impairment that keeps the impairment going. And Jesus says you're free from it. How free are you to be truly, fully alive? Are you fully human in this moment? Is there any impairment or impediment that's keeping the spirit and the body, soul and matter dancing? Now, I'll finish with this. John Wesley, you know, he birthed the Methodist movement in, in a very prof- profoundly creative way. He, he did so by starting what he called class meetings, a very boring designation, but today we would call them life groups or support groups, small groups. Um, and he devised these questions, 21 of them, that were super personal, by the way. Um, here are some of these. Am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I am better than myself? Am I honest in all my acts or words, or do I exaggerate? You're supposed to answer these questions in a group, by the way. (laughs) Am I a slave to dress, to work, to habits? (laughs) Is there anyone whom I fear, dislike, disown, criticize, hold resentment toward, or disregard? Do I insist upon doing something about which my conscience is uneasy? And maybe the most prophetic of them all, am I defeated in any part of my life? It's 21 questions. Each getting to the heart of what it means to be human and fully alive, to to find that dance between body and soul. Three takeaways. We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having human experience. We are only as well as the community to which we belong. Our bodies are well only when our souls are well. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. And if you'd like more information, go to www.gosaintandrew.com. See you next week.